Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. There is a lot that feels out of reach in this city. Affordable housing, transit, even great bagels. One thing you can count on is Seattle Now. Each day, we'll bring you up to date on the stories and conversations shaping this place. But we need you to help make it. And the best part is we'll make it easy for you. No line, no fuss, and you decide how much to pay. Just click the link in the show notes to donate. And thanks. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Friday. This is Seattle Now. This week, an off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot is accused of attempting to cut the plane's engines mid-flight. Washington joined 41 other states in suing Facebook parent company Meta, accusing it of addicting young children to its social media platforms. And San Juan County is considering a tourism tax as the islands become overwhelmed with visitors. KUOW's Paige Browning and local digital strategist Aisha Brown are here to break down the week. But first, let's get you caught up. Seattle Public Schools sent an advisory note to families encouraging them to talk with students about personal safety. This following a rash of students being mugged. Police say there have been more than a dozen reports of teens in North Seattle targeted in the past month. The students were off campus. SPS says its safety and security team are working with Seattle police and city officials. Washington state officials say investigators have almost cleared a massive backlog of sexual assault kits. They solved 21 cases along the way. At one point, there were more than 10,000 kits from sexual assault and rape cases that had yet to be reviewed. But in 2015, the legislature allocated funding and a timeline. It took years, but the attorney general's office says testing is nearly complete on all of them. The Washington State Patrol is still reviewing approximately 1,000 tested kits. And the postman will reopen. Kiana Pickett had said she'd close the Central District business after recent gunfire shattered the window. Her husband, Devon, was killed out front just more than a year ago. In an open letter published Thursday on Converge Media, Pickett said she's reconsidered after hearing from family and community. What a week. It seems like it took forever to get to Friday, but... Here we are. I hope you stayed mostly dry this week and warm because, wow, the temperature dropped. We are deep into fall now. Paige Browning is here. She's a news anchor and reporter at KUOW and sometimes host of this show. Paige, great to see you. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Hey, Trish. Aisha Brown is here as well. She's a local digital strategist. Aisha, always glad to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Trish. Happy to be here. Cool, cool, cool. All right, let's dive in. Airline passengers narrowly avoided tragedy this past weekend when an off-duty Alaska Airlines pilot allegedly tried to interfere with a flight by switching off the engines mid-air and trying to open an emergency door while he was restrained. The Horizon flight left from Payne Field in Everett and was on its way to San Francisco. Honestly, you two, before we go any further, what a terrifying situation to be in as a passenger did this story yep. scare the heck out of you the way it did me? I cannot imagine. I had like a bunch of thoughts racing through my head when this first happened. And then I was like, wait a minute. 
Stop forming opinions until you think about what it would have been like to be a passenger on that plane. That's the lens that I, I'm really trying to see it through because yeah. it's really terrifying. But also most of the passengers apparently weren't aware this was going on because the crew handled it pretty well. That's also a terrifying thing to realize that there are so many things that are happening during the flight that you have no idea um, as a passenger, varying range. But I have been flying a lot for work, all Alaska. And so reading this story, it triggered something in me with my flight anxiety. And you just have to think like... Where is the care and the concern for the pilots and who do they go talk Mm. to when they are not feeling well? What kind of PTO do they get? I know that we focus a lot on the length of time they're working and there's a lot of legislation around the flight crew can only work X amount of hours, but no one's really focusing on like how they're doing. Yeah, Mm. we can talk about that in a minute, but first we should really credit them with their quick action, to be honest, right, Paige? Because the entire... Like you said, passengers didn't really know what was happening. And this thing could have become a glider if they had not reestablished the fuel. Like, it can't be understated what could have potentially happened here. Amazing quick reaction. Joseph Emerson, the off-duty pilot that's worked as a pilot with Alaska since 2001, was struggling somehow. He told officers after he was arrested he hadn't slept in almost two days and was in the middle of a mental breakdown when something goes wrong with the Seattle Now team, we, I like to say that we're not landing planes here, people, as a way to keep mm. perspective, you know. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it really matters because these people are actually landing planes and they are still just humans who get depressed and burned out like the rest of us. These are not superhumans. The first thing that stood out to me was that he was off duty mm-hmm. and he was hitching a flight to go to an, a different location. And so it makes you think, what if he was on duty? Then, of course, mm. I like spiral and think about the Malaysian Airlines flight and, and Same. The health for that flight. And it just makes you think like, wow, are the pilots okay? What checks are in place to actually like, before they get on a flight, you know, there was the one pilot a while ago who they found alcohol and they have Mm -hmm. all these cameras throughout the airport to check in on things like that. But then you're like, wait a second, are my pilots good? Well, U.S. pilots, because of their responsibility for other people, have many protocols in place, right, around mental fitness. According to the Federal Aviation Administration, pilots have to report any professional visits during the previous three years and disclose all existing physical and psychological conditions and medications. This pilot, according to the reporting that I've read, was last checked out in September. And, you know, Paige, people who are responsible for the lives of other people often are involved uh, in businesses that have protocols in place, right? There are are Mm -hmm. industry-specific mental health groups for people like pilots and flight attendants. But whenever you have a profession where a mental health condition could automatically disqualify you from working, there is a level of secrecy around vulnerability that is just, just happens, right? I reported for a long time on the military, saw it in the military, see it in the medical profession, reported on mental health problems with doctors and physicians. I agree with you. And in my past life, I was a military spouse. My ex was Mm -hmm. a military cop in the Air Force. I lived on base. We went through two deployments. And I saw firsthand soldiers 
who were armed and on and working express that they felt as though they could not acknowledge that they had a problem or they were not feeling well because if they did they would be pulled off of duty and they were oftentimes the main provider for their households and so it becomes a real question about is my family going to be okay will I be able to feed people am I going to be okay am I going to also get marked with a stigma am I going to actually get any type of reprimands. And so I've seen that in the military. I've seen that with my friends who happen to be police officers, sharing that the culture is one where legally they have to offer these things, but the actual culture when you're there is not one that you take advantage of it because you feel yeah. isolated. That's such and an so important point. I think point. that that's important to address that, yes, you can have these things here, but how are you creating an environment where someone feels as though they can actually access it? Right. Without mm-hmm. being culture forward about vulnerability, Aisha, the default for people will be to hide, right? Hide their feelings. I keep thinking about this. I know someone who's in the Navy who's about to be deployed on a, a submarine and they go out on a sub for several months and then they're taken off for several months. And they're probably on there for too long. I could never be down there for like six <laughs> it's months. It's a tight at a time. squeeze, right? right? It's a tight squeeze. <laughs> but it's like uh, you are ne- you are then getting a required time away from that high stress and underwater situation. The boss tells you this is the plan. It's also what's normalized. I think that we exactly. all will we will all agree that being under the water for four months is just like, oh, that's gonna have an impact <laughs> on you. Yeah. And I think it's not as often to say that what is the stress of having a hundred people or three hundred people on a flight's life in your hands in in addition yes. to your own life that you have going on. And sometimes it's as small as asking your coworker, How are you? Mm-hmm. And just noticing things in people. So a lot of stuff is hidden. And we are likely to hear an awful lot more about how pilots and flight attendants are cared for or are reporting their mental health concerns moving forward because of this story. This flight eventually landed in Portland, where Emerson was arrested and told police that he experimented with magic mushrooms. But that's unclear if he had taken them before he boarded the flight. Again, really strict drug testing protocols for pilots and flight attendants, magic mushrooms being something that supposedly leaves your system pretty quickly though. All right, we got to move on. Speaking of mental health, Washington is one of 42 states involved in a lawsuit against Facebook parent company Meta for its impact on kids' mental health. The suit alleges that Meta knowingly designed features on Instagram and Facebook that addict children to its platforms. Washington AG Bob Ferguson, who we should mention is running for governor at the moment, called the issue a youth mental health crisis that's costing lives. As a parent, I see this. I can see how it can get messed up. Some of the features mentioned on Facebook and Instagram are the like or reaction buttons, push notifications that ping users repeatedly with sounds and vibrations, and, oh, my favorite, the infinite scroll function that provides users with endless content, you too. Mm-hmm. Where did that hour go? Oh, my gosh. I mentioned my teenager, but seriously, completely relatable to me infinite scroll on tiktok the dopamine hit i feel at the end of the day oh 
I think we have to acknowledge Facebook, Meta, Instagram, these are not wellness apps. This is not a wellness <laughs> platform. This is a for-profit company and they are monetizing your attention. Yes. And so I think that Facebook's been around for 20 years, at least at this point, and they're monetizing your attention. And so I think when you enter it, if you go to Vegas, there are a couple of think pieces about Vegas and how it's designed to keep you engaged, to keep you spending money, to keep you getting a little hit of, you know, hit a There's a reason and, there's no windows in yeah. a casino, Aisha. No clocks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's always, you never Free know what drinks. time it is. Free yep. drinks, you know? And I think that if we adjust our expectations and treat social media as that, I think it does kind of allow you to come into it with different boundaries set up. I do think that like, it's a, it's designed to keep you engaged and on their adults, children, everyone. And so I think that with younger people, they don't have as much contact experience, balance, especially now. Like, I mean, having life before technology and having a frame of reference is really great, but hmm. I would like to just remind parents that this app, these apps are not designed for wellness. Yeah, we're all adults here, but you know, we have the value and the benefit of a life of experience prior to engaging with the infinite scroll. I have seen it with the young people in my life, and maybe you have as well. I for sure have seen that. I, I, the young people I know in my life, um, yeah, it's just a constant head down looking at tech snap, neck is a thing, right? <laughs> tech neck for sure. I mean, that's a, a, literally last time I saw one of my young cousins, I was like, he's like, my back hurts so much, which this, this, that's not what this lawsuit is about, but his neck and back and he's like eight years old were hurting. And I'm like, let's do some stretches because your head's down all day, buddy. But again, this comes with wisdom being an adult. I do think that <laughs> when, sure. you, when you see young people and the way that they're experiencing life and coming of age and different emotions and hormones and it's all on it's digital, you do worry about them. And there's the saying Gen Z has, which is go touch grass. I think yes. that, that is like, that, that's a campaign, y'all. Someone take yes. it. It's a campaign. Yeah. But I think that there is a way to balance being connected and having your experience as a kid be global, but then also allowing yourself to go outside and like experience quote unquote real life. Teenagers are not good at balance, Aisha. They're not good at balance. (laughs) And, and, you know, science even tells us they're not good at seeing the long-term or even the near-term consequences of their actions. It's just not a thing that teenagers are capable of. Ferguson said that despite the growing concern from lawmakers and the public, Meta refused to make reforms that would protect young users. Mm -hmm. I would love to know how Mark Zuckerberg and his team talked about this or any of these players, to be honest, right? What were those conversations like? I think you would be very disappointed. I I used to work in tech (laughs) and I used to work in advertising and we monetized You know, it's a business. And I think that it unfortunately, a lot of people have to experience it themselves and be parents with a with a youth going through it to like have it click to them that maybe Mm. we need to put some things in place to protect kids until they're old enough to understand. Just speaking as a parent, I applaud parents who kept technology out of their kids hands as long as they possibly could because we worked hard. We didn't work hard enough. And, and that's the truth. And at some point, I had to accept that this beast was out. And mm. the only thing we could do was try to mediate and mitigate 
what we had in our hands. And, you know, I have Mm -hmm. a a lovely 17-year-old. He is a a thoughtful, kind person who I am super proud of. But, man, he does not put down that phone. Does Mm -hmm. not put down that phone. Well, and, and part of it is that even if you're not on social media or you're not on it as much as your peers as a young person, the pressures that exist when mm-hmm. you're within that app also now exist outside of the app. Did you see this viral thing? Did you see what so-and-so from class posted? And then when you are on it, you're having feelings like uh, th- this teenager, Grace Go, who spoke in the press conference yeah. with Ferguson this week saying, you know, by age 13, my self-esteem had dropped because I'm getting served to me. This is what you need to look like. Your nose isn't right. Things she would never would have heard outside of it. Um, and just the infinite scroll of this is what your weight should be. This is what your face should look like. Your hair, your clothes, how you talk at age 13. I hate to think yeah. of what things would have been like for me if I was a 13-year-old with social media. Ooh, to be honest. Not good like, for really, me. Not mm, Wild that something we turn to to relieve stress or escape turns out to be the thing that stresses us out more. Maybe put your phone down for a while and take a little mental health trip to the San Juan Islands. Go touch grass. That's right. Get up there now, though, because it may be more expensive for everyone. San Juan County is seeking public feedback right now on a proposal to implement an annual fee of $10 to $15 for bikes, boats, and cars. Kind of like the state's Discover Pass, which goes on your vehicle. The county says it needs the money for infrastructure improvements as tourism begins to overwhelm the island's existing infrastructure. Tourism taxes are becoming more and more common in popular destinations around the world, you two, but I don't know. Is it fair? Is it okay to charge a fee to access popular public spaces? I mean, there there's a big part of me that doesn't like this idea because who's to say where a human can go it's it's you know Mm -hmm. land is land but so so there's some gatekeeping there and could make places like the san juan islands beautiful picturesque san juan islands more exclusive but i I saw the numbers were pretty alarming for how much tourism has increased so at some point you do hit a point where There are just so many tourists that you cannot sustain the infrastructure for that many people. 650,000 visitors a year since 2018. That's so many people. That's a lot of people. That's so many people. In the line for the ferry. if they want to charge me 15 bucks to go over on my bike, and that is what the locals want, I'm for it. I would be in support of it, too. I don't mind paying it, but this whole story made me Google the original indigenous people to the San Juan Islands and Mm. it's the Coast Salish and Mm -hmm. oh guess what even on the San Juan Islands tourism website they tell you the Coast Salish people lived there for 11,000 years Mm. and not much else is known so it just was interesting to think that there are people who have lived in this area for 11,000 years Mm -hmm. and now within like 100 years (laughs) we're just like it's it's going out the window it's just not working for us anymore (laughs) No, I think that what they should do is if they were able to take a part of the fee, the tourism tax that they want to charge and donate it to, I think, the indigenous tribes, to me, that is like 
having it have some substance, you're giving back, but also you're getting the tax that you need. And I would not mind paying it. Um, I also do think that residents benefit from the tourism, businesses benefit from the tourism. And also no one is local to this area. Like everyone Mm -hmm. is like a visitor here. So I think in that regard, I don't mind paying to enjoy a place and allowing them to be able to support the infrastructure improvements that they need. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a delicate balance, Aisha for the people on the islands, right? Tourists drive the economy, but tourism is also a significant drain. You know, I wonder if it's fair to subject residents to the same fees that tourists are hit with. To your point, Aisha, these are people who aren't native to the area, but they do live there. They should pay it. Just pay it, (laughs) y'all. I get crabby when I have to pay my um, Discover Pass every year because it gets lumped, you know, like it always comes up when I have to register my vehicle, which is outrageously expensive. And I just don't feel like giving them any more money. It is sort of funny to think like I I buy another pass, which is the snow parks pass Mm -hmm. where you can like go sledding, cross country skiing and stuff in the winter. And it's sort of weird to me to be thinking about the snow parks like I'm thinking about a whole town yeah, such as right, Friday Paige. Harbor. It, but even if it's weird, um, that doesn't mean it's wrong. Just like we talked on this show about the enchantments, which are this beautiful mountain mm. area, mm-hmm. right? And how it's getting overrun with people. And I wonder if shifting to something like a lottery system to keep things less busy is an eventuality if we cannot, with population growth, And, you know, we need to save the environment from ourselves. It's interesting just thinking this through because, one, my first thought is I need to hurry up and go visit before I'm (laughs) kept out of there. Before the elite are like, no, you can't come. Um, But then also it's just the monetization of everything. And it's like, who gets to decide? The fact that you have to pay for a pass to go sled like, oh, right. like, it's well, just like, wait if a you want to pull, that's if what you got you. pull up yeah. the hill. <laughs> I know. I know. It, it, that That's what gives me. If I you need the time. You got to pay. <laughs> at the end of the day, I would support this if I lived on San Juan. But there just are all these things that keep kind of bugging me it's about getting it. getting harder yeah. and harder. It's, it's harder the monetization and harder to do the of land. Love. Yes. And. Yeah. You know, maybe we're just becoming too overcrowded for our own good. Or maybe we just have to stop sharing our gorgeous hikes and island trips on social media. Can we just stop and say that's the most Seattle thing? I'm a transplant. You all know from Chicago. And everyone, when I got here, every local person or person who had been here for a while would say to me, don't tell anyone else it's so pretty (laughs) here because we don't want any more people to move here. And I would be like, because everyone would get here and say, oh, it's beautiful. And it doesn't rain as much as I thought. It's just gray. And they're like, yeah, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> don't tell anyone. And so it's like the San Juan Islands. We did so there's a campaign you. next year, they're going to just be like, oh, there's some horrible thing on the San Juan Islands. No right. The San Juans. <laughs> they're really not that great. Yeah. New tagline. <laughs> In fact, yeah, you're going to see the bumper stickers. Like, we, we have enough people here. Without a t-shirt. No Californians. (laughs) We are leaving it there. I hope you have a good, scary Halloween. Paige Browning is a news anchor and reporter at KUOW. Aisha Brown is a local digital strategist. What fun. Thanks a lot, you two. Thank you. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. As we mentioned, we can only make this show with your support. If you have become a member, thanks so much. If not, help us close out this fundraising week by donating to Seattle Now. We'll drop a link in the show notes. Today's episode was produced by Vaughn Jones with help from Jason Pagano. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McGrain, Jenny Cecil Moore, Matt Martin, and Lucy Suchek. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you Monday. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.